Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of EdTech Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. I'm glad you found us. And with me today, David, uh, real pleasure uh, to have you on the show. Um, so many different ways we can go with this conversation. I can't wait to see where it ends up. <laughs> so thanks, thanks, for, thanks for joining. Great. Thanks for being here. Maybe you can go uh, to start off, go in a little bit more detail on the history of the company that's, that you founded, because between that point in time and to what we're going to talk about today, there seem to have been a lot of uh, twists and turns. Yeah, there have. Um, you know, my background was always in software development. And um, when we looked to do Muzzy Lane, we were really looking at, as education was starting to shift from print to digital, uh, slow transition, as everyone knows, uh, we really felt like interactive software and games and simulations would play a role in what you know a digital future for education would look like you know once you're once you're on a computer using um software you don't want to just read a book you don't want to just watch a video you really want to interact and really want to be challenged and and have a back and forth um with what's going on in the computer yeah so, yeah and so initially you know technologically things were not that advanced back in the early 2000s when we started so we ended up doing a lot of custom work, custom development for partners like McGraw-Hill, Pearson, Cengage, you know, the usual higher ed players. Um, and that was kind of phase one of the company. We built a lot of relationships, uh, some still existing today, such as McGraw-Hill, built a lot of great products, uh, but they were relatively expensive and time consuming, um, not very flexible. Uh, you know, it's very much like doing game development in education, which a lot of people have done and, and has its challenges. So, you know, we, we, did that really through 2014 and then we shifted you know we, we did a lot of market research we looked to see what were the barriers what what did we feel were holding back um you know game-based learning from becoming a more mainstream part of education uh and pivoted to being more of a SaaS authoring tools provider so now we partner with subject matter experts and course creators we we empower them to go and build interactive software for their courses instead of us doing it for them so that cuts a tremendous amount of cost out time uh, and makes the solutions so much more maintainable by by the people who build courses. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about how the platform and how the the technology of gaming has advanced in that time as well, and how you've been able to adjust to that. Yeah, gaming has changed a lot in that time. You know, you think about uh, the pre-Steam days, especially in gaming. You know, the big, heavy 3D games. There wasn't a lot of web gaming going on at the time. Um, and education was really fundamentally a, a web experience. You know, it was not a sort of downloadable application experience. And so right. really shifting to that and, and the games industry has shifted in that direction as well, um, gave us a lot more flexibility to be more of a native part of the online education experience. You know, you need, and, and we really needed those web protocols to come along like, you know, WebGL, WebSockets, you know, be able to do 3D graphics and interactive audio and video in the browser natively without plugins. That was a huge part of it. Yeah. And so now I'll bring us up to the unfortunate, uh, fact that we need to speak about the pandemic, but how has, I've been, I've been doing a lot of conversations about how education uh, technologies have accelerated uh, as a result of this forced beta test that, 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 we're, that we're all going through. Um, and I know that the use of games online has accelerated and surged during this time. Um, do you see that space um, in, in combination, having been kind of pushed to a new rate of development? There's definitely more overlap, things like Minecraft and Roblox. There's been a lot more merging of, of education and gaming. Um, I think we are, it's funny, you know, our, we've sort of evolved a little bit away from the, the more game side. We, we talk much more about simulations now and role play simulations because okay. they, they make more sense. You know, we, 
in the process of moving to more an authored solution where we're putting you know instructional designers and subject matter experts in charge of building these simulations that students are going to interact with um, want to stay within the realm of what what can be built by a non-technical person so we're not looking to create tools for engineers to create simulations we're really looking to let someone who really understands psychology to build some good intro psych um, simulations okay we'll have we'll have a that space so it, it, would i be right in saying aug augmented reality virtual reality when you talk about simulation ar and vr is coming um the tools again there's good custom solutions for ar and vr out there today um the the tools to let non-technical creators you know and, and experts build uh ar and vr solutions in their chosen field say it's economics or business or marketing that's still sort of in development isn't quite there yet um so but it's a place we're definitely looking at as we go forward yeah yeah so uh, give me a, a walkthrough in terms of your relationship i mean is it based on existing curricula yes yeah, so, so so one of the things the market research turned up some really key findings for us that really informed the pivot for us into um, being more of an authoring tool provider you know people heard we heard from faculty in spades it's like we have to have control of our content we can't you know, have these boat anchors that get dropped into our courses that we can't do anything about. And so you have to control the content. You need to integrate well to our LMS. That's something a lot of a lot of um, games and simulations had not done prior. Um, they had to meet accessibility guidelines, and that really kind of circumscribes what you can do. Um, and they had to work on mobile. Okay. So, you know, so that those were the guiding principles for us that you know, and so led us down this path of you know, role play simulations. Um, simple quantitative simulations for business courses, especially, you know, ton of usage in, in business and marketing. Um, sort of that, that's where we took, that's where it took us. Well, you know, um, along with all the accelerations in this chaos, there's also a lot of disruption, uh, higher ed being one um, where um, the disruption, I think when you look at education is much more um, likely to have some long lasting effects versus K-12. The more I look at it now, it seems, with the vaccines coming in and um, the way that K-12 public education is set up, things might go back to normal pretty quickly. Higher ed, not so much. I mean, you can look at between the assessment to get into high, in, into colleges, the way colleges are set up, and then also that transition into, into the work world. There is, seems to be this um, mass awakening of, you know, maybe I don't need to have that sheepskin from college abc i right i can be going through how does your work um kind of spin into that yeah i think as we know sort of online education has been growing i think faster than on premise education in higher ed for a while now and the, and the pandemic of course did a huge shift over um some will bounce back but i think i think most places will be hybrid for now from now on like you know i went to mit and they had already gone to very much of a hybrid model years ago they started with open courseware MITx, which originally was sort of for people outside the university, now is being offered directly to university students as part of their their campus residential experience. So, you know, I, I think that's the core driver for us is is the move, the move towards a higher percentage of online as just overall higher ed, um, which brings challenges. You know, it brings engagement challenges, um, assessment challenges, and you know, sort of guidance and feedback. So, you know, when you're online with your course materials, but you don't have an instructor, you don't have a, a class of students around you. In something needs to sort of provide some of those same supports. And, and I think we think simulations are, are a great piece of that solution. Mm. Uh, they give you something to interact with. They give you feedback, instant feedback in the moment. Uh, they can assess you in a way that um, is difficult to do when there's not an instructor there. You know, part of our market research said 
online courses, which generally have light or no instructor interaction, um, it's really hard to assess complex skills, critical thinking, application of knowledge, um, collaboration and project type skills, because uh, there's no one there to read your paper or to help you do the group project. And so right. simulations are, are a great way to substitute in for that. You know, for example, um, Education Design Lab, who we're working with on um, simulations to assess soft skills, um, it's a huge win for them to be able to replace a manually assessed critical thinking badge, for example, with an auto assessment that can take you through an activity where you could demonstrate your critical thinking abilities. Um, some of what you're saying is uh, bringing in another, another acronym, which is AI, artificial intelligence, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. uh, how, how do you tie that, those two together? AI has a big, always been a big part of games, obviously, and simulations. And we do some AI in our, in our products as well, uh, looking at more ways to let again, let authors sort of control that AI, because obviously, you know, we, we, in a role play simulation where you're interacting with other characters, um, you want them to react to you, and that's basically AI or machine learning. Mm -hmm. um, so we do some of that in our, in our products today, and we'll continue to do more in the future. Um, talk about tying that into professional learning. Uh, I assume that there might be some connects there uh, once people leave the higher ed space and are in the, in the, in the corporate space in terms of a, this new sort of trend of continuous learning and the importance um, of workers continuing to be educated in this sort of courseware. Have you found interest in that? And what particular industries, I would assume healthcare would be one where you would see a lot of continuous education. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so huge focus these days on upskilling, reskilling, outskilling. Um, but basically, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm not in a degree program. I probably post degree program but I need new skills or I, or I have skills that no one can see and I need to be able to make those visible to somebody. And so you're not looking for you know, a textbook, you're not looking for a full semester long course, you're looking for a way to, to gather skills, practice them, and then show that you have them. Mm. And so simulations, again, are a great way to do that. You'll see a lot of companies out there um, kind of using that approach in this market and trying to attack that. Uh, and, I, and we think that that's a great place as well. Uh, we're seeing universities. So there's an interesting dichotomy right now between new providers like boot camps, for example, that are showing up that are very skills focused versus universities. Um, and, and I think there's not, those aren't really as separate as they seem in the, in, in the market at the moment. You know, universities are very much thinking about how do I make sure I'm, I'm sort of uh, teaching skills and then mm -hmm. assessing those and then putting those as part of your credential that you get from the university or bachelor's. You know, for example, Western Governors is putting skills outcomes now on all their courses. And it's funny, you're on a call the other day and somebody asked them, you know, well, are you assessing those skills? And they said, well, we better be, right? And, and so in an online environment like that, simulations can play a big role in helping make it cost-effective to do those assessments. So what are we talking about? Almost like, like, um, like a digital thesis? I mean, what, can, you, can you describe kind of, I mean, is, is it a digital portfolio of uh, your description of things or actually performing a task? Um, yeah, so I, I'd say a couple of good examples. Uh, a product that we did with McGraw-Hill that's still extremely popular called Practice Marketing. Uh, you basically play a marketing manager who's introducing a new product into a market. And so you have to, you're, it's kind of focused around the four Ps. So it's, it's price, uh, product, position, and the fourth P now. Um, <laughs> but basically, you, you know, you price your product, you configure it, you look at your target segment, you decide how to advertise to reach them, you decide what your messaging should be, and you can compete with other students while you're doing this. And so you're, you're going through a real exercise. And so we mm. get students who, who come back afterwards and say, I feel like I went through a virtual internship. Um, they put it on their, uh, on their resumes. 
that they did this. Uh, it often replaces, they used to write a marketing plan that their professor would read and say, oh yeah, this would do well, this wouldn't do well. Mm. Now they actually do a marketing plan. <laughs> um, they actually create it, yeah. Is out. So that's really cool and, and really successful. Um, and then with uh, Education Design Lab, they we built an assessment together called Save the Museum, which assesses critical thinking skills where you come in as a consultant to a struggling museum and try to help them figure out what, you know, what, what should they do about their declining attendance? What target in their community should they go after? How should they attack them? And you're basically going against these sub-competencies of you know, gathering evidence, evaluating data, uh, detecting bias. And so it's very purposeful about how it walks you through and measures whether you can do those things. So it's, um, it's surviving or thriving in a particular scenario that's been designed for you to, to walk through, right? Right. And so that's, yeah. where, the, that's where, now we're back at the, at the game end of things and it, it actually has me thinking about uh will Wright in and sim city back in the in the early 90s right where uh i remember him i interviewed him and he was talking about how chevron had hired him to build a simulation for onboarding workers to describe how chevron really works right and all the particular business aspects of it and it seems so far out of the time but it's really that same sort of right vibe but just in at that point in time the technologies, the, the the interfaces were so basic and so childish, right? Um, to the sophistication that you have now. I mean, uh, are you seeing some of your um, software being used in even more greater simulations that might involve 3D or Oculus or even going uh, you know deeper into a, a virtual reality setup? Let's talk about you know, we've talked about the past. Let's talk about the future. Yeah. Like, where yeah. where do you see some of your tools and techniques, uh, say, five years out, ten years out? I think what we'll see. There's always the, the the we're looking for impact. We really want to have impact, and we really and for having impact, you have to be able to touch a lot of students. And the challenge with things like VR um, type technologies today is it's difficult for that to scale. Um, the, the game consoles and you know 15 years ago the game consoles were the ones that were going to revolutionize um this sort of gaming education because they had such great graphics and they had great um all, all those things they could do with these great games but they just weren't available and schools didn't have game consoles and they weren't going to end up with game consoles so that never really went anywhere mm -hmm. I, I think vr will have more success than that but it will take some time and, and it won't be mainstream for a while mm -hmm. you know? so when we, when we think about like the research we did, the Gates Foundation funded was really looking at how this could impact outcomes for non-traditional students. And so when you think about that market where cost is, cost is definitely a factor, they'll be better served by something that really pedagogically gets at the skill development and, and proof of uh, mastery that you they really need um, that can hit a, a much broader set of students than um, you know, a technology like VR, which today at least would be would be relatively limited in its impact. Yeah. So um, maybe more in the near term, we should be using this for assessments, and we can finally get rid of the SAT and ACT, and have students go through uh, game-based scenarios where they're solving problems that don't involve. And, and key to yeah, I agree. And you know, it's, your comment about Will Wright made me think of Sid Meier, the, the civilization designer, whose famous quote was, "A game is a series of interesting decisions." You know, what makes these simulations higher order is you're 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 solving things in context. So a mm. scenario has been created. Now you're answering a question with a bunch of implications and context. That you need to figure out what that is. And 
that is, I think, in a lot of ways, a much better assessment than a multiple choice SAT question. Um, it also addresses another issue that's happening right now is the whole proctoring um, cheating issue, which is when you've just got a bunch of multiple choice questions that have answers that someone can publish on the web, that's a really difficult thing to guard. Um, when you've got simulated scenarios with context and data that needs to be manipulated and data that can be randomized in each run through of the simulation, you can't post the answers anymore. So now mm -hmm. you actually really need to reason through um, the scenario you're being faced with, with the data that's in that particular instance of the scenario to get to the right answer. And so that's a much, it's a better cognitive experience, but it's also less prone to just being copied. Reminds me of my uh, algebra teacher, show your work. Show your work, exactly. Show your work. <laughs> and there are, and we're not the only ones doing it. Lots of people have done this. Um, I think what those is that we're trying to get to be more mainstream in online courseware. It just mm -hmm. seems like a, it's such a, it's, it's, it just seems natural. It's going to be table stakes. It's going to be part of all online courseware in the future. So we're trying to make that easy and non-disruptive for the vast universe of courseware that's already built in and out there mm -hmm. to add this in. I mean, this could be tied into some of the concepts involving formative assessment as well, I assume, right? I mean, yeah. as, as you're going along, as maybe this data is, you're entering, the students entering the data and um, the answers uh, yeah. at the same time. Um, talk, are there specific industries, if we could kind of go back up out of the higher education where you see this already in effect? Healthcare is huge. Healthcare, like you mentioned that earlier, and, and, and healthcare does tons of simulations. And they do, they do the broad swath. They'll do the, the soft skill role playing, like, you know, help you learn how to do rounds in a hospital, help you learn how to interact with a patient, all the way to the physical sort of the, the fake human, you know, that you, that you operate on. Yeah. Uh, and additionally, because we worked with Excelsior College on this years back, um, and they're they, there's always, there's like a round, there's like a physical requirement that you spend as a nursing student, say that you spend a certain amount of time in the hospitals in patients care settings and getting that kind of experience. They were really interested in the simulated, simulated part of that because they could control the level of difficulty. Mm -hmm. The challenge they had sending you into the hospitals, you didn't know what you were going to get. And so, you know, you may get a really easy day. I might get a really hard day and we've not been, and it's being used for assessment. And so it's not, right. not being assessed very fairly. Right. So simulations were a way for them. To, to assess fairly across, but healthcare is huge. Business is huge. It's always been um, language learning. You see that quite a bit. You know, a lot, a lot of dedicated, dedicated companies who just do this kind of software for language learning. Talk a little bit about um, the perception of your work, um, and I guess, and, and I can ask you this again in the context of a pandemic times from before or, uh, until now. I mean. Uh, was it seen as a novelty? Was it seen as a, you know, maybe a, a luxury before now, but now because of everyone's behavior changing in this remote setup that people might, you know what, this actually might be a, a, a way to go forward? It's funny. I, I'd say when we started, it was very much the, um, an evangelism type job to try to convince people that this was a good idea and, and the way to go. Uh, I think as we went through, you know, it got more mainstream but then it was practical barriers. I think it went from sort of philosophical uncertainty to practical barriers. These things cost a lot to make. You know, they're, they're hard to deploy. They're hard to maintain. You know, we keep having to have a dev team come back in. Mm -hmm. I think once we got to where we are today and, and, and us and others are really making it easier for, of course, authoring has become such a normal thing for everybody. If you're authoring on Canvas or on Blackboard or on Realize It, whatever your platform is, 
to author this stuff makes more sense to people now. You know, for example, we saw from 2019 to 2020 activity on our platform triple. So we were up 200%. So it's happening and, and it's growing. And I don't think it's going to, it's not going down this year. And I don't yeah. think it'll go post pandemic either. I think it's just going to keep growing because yeah. you just need that. You need that when you're putting students online, you have to engage them. Um, talk a little bit about the, uh, I'll use the game of game side of things like the mo the multiplayer or the multi-student or the group group collaboration aspects yeah. of all of this. So you talked about cheating. I did the, the line I hear is like, you know, collaboration is the new cheating, right? But <laughs> right. talk about how um, those sort of elements are built into your, your platforms. So we're template based. So, you know, the way we make it easy for you as a non-technical person to build a, game, build a simulation is that you start with a template, which sort of gives you a bunch of framework and then you add your content and you can control a lot of the student experience that way. Yeah. Um, most of those are single player um, experiences, single student experiences, but some are multiplayer experiences. And, and those are more challenging, you know, from, yeah. a, from a design standpoint to make a good experience for a group of six is, is more challenging. But right. that's the whole idea is that you can then design those experiences so students can interact with each other. Um, you think of something like Kahoot where, you, you know, very simple interactions, just we're all sort of in a game show together. Right. But those are powerful. I think that, you know, in our industry has always been, a, there's always been, because the games industry is so, does so many interesting things. It's always a temptation to overshoot. Yes. Education needs needs scalable solutions. Yeah. Uh, and to be clear, um, these are course designers who are making this. This, this isn't a, a user base, say a professor based creating a course. This is someone else still creating that for a, for an end user. We do have, so we have an, we have an option for um, individual users to create and deploy simulations on their own. We do have people who do that. Uh, most of our businesses with publishers and universities though, who currently are, are building at scale. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, we, again, intentionally designed the service to be simple to author with. So you can, you know, we do have an individual license option. Uh, we do have a free sign up so people can create stuff for free if they want to. Okay, all right. Almost like um, last year during the pandemic, when I saw this, the students started to develop their own virtual graduation ceremonies, right? Right, right, exactly, yeah. And yep. in, in, in Minecraft, this yep. another another aspect of that. Yeah, we had a lot of people ask about it, using it as a maker tool as well. Okay. Uh, you, know, you could be, instead of students consuming content that someone else made for them, the assignment could be to go make a simulation. Um, yeah. And we are using a number of instructional design classes in universities where they use this as a tool to help teach them how to build interactive content. Well, Dave, there's so many different uh, aspects to your work and uh, it's more important than ever now uh, as we watch um, everything change around us from higher ed to, to, uh, to, to upskilling and to the, to the corporate environment. I really appreciate your time and, and your insights and, uh, and look, look forward to uh, the next phase of what uh, Muzzy Lane's gonna be doing next. So thanks again. Awesome, thanks Kevin, appreciate it. And thanks everybody for watching. I uh, hope you tune into another episode soon.